You're listening to the Conscious Pharmacist Podcast, a show for pharmacists, healthcare providers who have answered the call to practicing on purpose. Now, here's your host, internationally recognized HIV pharmacist, author, speaker, patient advocate, and president of MishRx Pharmacist Consulting Services, and your Conscious Pharmacist, Michelle Sherman. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Michelle Sherman, president of MishRx Pharmacist Consulting Services and your host for the Conscious Pharmacist Podcast, one of the podcasts part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to today's episode where we have the public health pharmacist, Dr. Christina Madison, back on our show. She was on our show in episode 33 um, a few weeks ago discussing um, what's going on with COVID-19, the coronavirus, and she's back on our show today to give us the latest, most current updates um, of what's going on with the virus, not only globally, but here in the U.S., and what you as community pharmacists and pharmacists out there can do to help your patients. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Madison. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure always. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're weeks into this um, epidemic now, and we're seeing all this hype on the news, um, on, on Facebook, on Twitter, and everywhere. And um, what, what I've witnessed here in Southern California is this mass onslaught to grocery stores and places like Costco, hoarding up on water and toilet paper. We can't get hand sanitizers anywhere. What is going on? Why do we have this kind of mass hysteria going on? And how's this going to help anything in curtailing the spread of this virus? Yeah, so it's an excellent question. Uh, I mean, at this point, we know that um, our risk in the United States, um, despite the fact that we have had Um, you know, several cases that have been identified. So there have been uh, 260 cases total for the entire United States, so all 50 states, and we've seen cases now identified in um, about 20 states out of the 50 continental United States. Um, I think the reason why people are so panicked is because of the fact that um, people have you know, they, they don't understand the difference between the symptoms. Um, it feels like it's this, you know, silent invader that could be creeping or lurking around the corner. And, you know, oh my goodness, you know, I don't know if I have COVID-19. Um, oh my gosh, this person coughed next to me. And so unfortunately, because we haven't seen a really robust public health response um, as far as messaging, to the public about the risk still being low um, and making sure that you know individuals know that even if you have a case that's been identified in your state or in your county uh, that you know just using you know good hand hygiene covering your cough not going to work if you're sick or ill you know wiping down frequently touch surfaces Um, the EPA actually just released yesterday a list of approved cleaning products that um, specifically are known to kill COVID-19. So, you know, 
using those kind of resources and really listening to reputable, accurate, factual news sources, I think is really the best way for the public to stay informed and making sure that they're not overreacting um, because ultimately having, you know, uh, more toilet paper and more water on hand isn't going to stop you from getting the virus. What's going to stop you from getting the virus is washing your hands and using hand sanitizer and wiping down frequently touched surfaces because, you know, you get this from respiratory droplets and the, you know, the, the, the area is about six feet. So, you know, if somebody were to cough or sneeze on you, if you're at least six feet away from them, then your risk is again, it's low. So um, I think there's multiple, you know, streams of information out there that are, you know, slightly inaccurate. Um, the big one would be that people need to wear masks. That is not recommended by the CDC for the general public. Unfortunately, because we've seen people thinking that they need masks, um, we now have a shortage of them for people who do need them, which are healthcare workers, right? So that what we call PPE or personal protective equipment is in really low supply right now. Um, luckily, the, um, the the Trump administration uh, just recently signed um, an allocations of funding uh, bill yesterday um, for $8.1 billion specifically for the COVID-19 response. And so I'm hoping that those resources will now be allocated towards getting people um, and those hospital systems and those primary care clinics, that PPE that they desperately need right now because they're going to be inundated with people who want to come in and want to be tested. Exactly. And, you know, all this hype and people reacting this way when, you know, just simply doing the simple daily, well, multiple times a day act of washing your hands, just wash your hands, um, goes such a long way. And I think in all these public health crises that there's this one, and I'm sure there'll be many, many more after this, is to have some kind of like federal response trickling down from the CDC where all these resources that are so desperately needed by these the frontline healthcare workers, the community clinics, the hospitals, get the resources right away that they need to be able to take care of the people showing up at their door. Yeah, I mean, I'll just give you my own personal story. I was just at my primary care doctor's office this morning, and they were complaining about the fact that they had no PPE and couldn't even get a mask. And like, they're the ones who are on the front line. You know, um, they, they, they feel naked. They don't feel like they're protected and they don't feel like they have any, you know, place to turn because everything's sold out. Um, so, you know, we really do need to ramp up, you know, that protective equipment for, for individuals who are really on the front line, like primary care offices and then also pharmacies, right? Because people come to the pharmacy sick all the time and there's really no way for us to know if they have COVID-19 or if they have influenza or if they have a common cold, um, unless they're telling us their symptoms, right? And so I think the big messaging that I've been hearing, um, especially for, from local and state health departments is, if you really feel like you may have COVID-19, don't get up and go to the doctor's office or go to the ER, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone, call your doctor, call um, you know, your, your local health authority, 
um, go to the CDC's website and take that risk assessment and then find out a place where you can go and safely be tested without inundating the healthcare system. Um, obviously, if you are experiencing severe symptoms such as very high fever and a cough that's accompanied by marked shortness of breath, then of course we want you to seek medical attention immediately. But for about 80% of people who become infected, they have mild symptoms and those people should not be going to the primary care office. They should be self-isolating for that 14 days um, doing, you know, just general, you know, hydration, cleaning, you know, surfaces, keeping themselves as healthy as well and well as they can. Um, and then, you know, just riding the course. Um, obviously, if their symptoms become worsened, then they can, you know, seek more advanced medical attention. But th that's kind of where we're at right now. You know, we, we are limited on the number of test kits that we have. Um, unfortunately, when the CDC originally pushed out the test kits to the local public health labs, they were defective. So the control in the test was not working. And so even if they were using the test appropriately, they couldn't confirm whether or not it was a true positive because they couldn't use the control. So we lost about two weeks where we could have been doing more testing because we had to send everything to the CDC. So luckily that, um, that issue has now been corrected, but we're kind of behind trying to ramp up the, the ability to test now that we're seeing cases popping up within the United States that are not related to travel or to direct exposure, but really more related to what now we call community spread, which is what we've seen in other places of the, of the world, like Italy, Iran, in addition to, you know, to China. No, and, and you know, you make a great point about people like monitoring their own symptoms and um, if they're feeling sick or anything to, to stay home. You know, it's always amazing to me how people feel like it's an absolute badge of honor to go to work sick and not only be sick around your coworkers, but the patients that we serve who come in maybe with compromised immune systems and are sick, we can give our patients and our coworkers those illnesses. It's like no badge of honor to go out there into the communities, go work out in the gym, go to work and everything. When people feel sick, they should stay home. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's an interesting point that you bring up because we know that the hourly wage workforce and the service industry um, that work in like the restaurant industry, that those individuals, it may be more difficult for them to be able to stay home if they're sick. Mm -hmm. And so there are some talks right now going on about maybe some stimulus, um, you know, that they could potentially push out um, for those um, particular industries where maybe paid sick leave isn't available um, so that they can stay home for that 14-day um, recommended time frame. So again, um, depending on what institution you're at, I'm sure that they have either COVID-19 response team or task force that they've developed. Um, I know here at um, my university that I work for, we have um, you know, we have a phase one and a phase two 
where you know we're planning now um, based on the fact that we have only had the two identified cases here in Nevada um, but you know what do we do if we have to close the school like can we you know can we still have classes can we still have exams I mean these are things that we have to think about you know and if you have an older workforce right because we know that those over 50 those with chronic medical conditions or compromised immune systems, those individuals are more likely to have complications associated with the infection. You may not have the workforce to even support keeping your business open. So, you know, those are the things, those contingency plans, those are the things that businesses need to be thinking about and, you know, telecommuting and being able to do things from home and really trying to accommodate those workers um, because we're all going to have to survive this, right? You know, the, mm -hmm. uh, the last thing that I saw was that um, the projection would be that about 70% of the population will have had COVID-19 within the next year. Wow. So even if you haven't been quote unquote confirmed, everyone's going to have it at some point, right? It's just mm -hmm. who, who are we targeting for more enhanced, you know, protection because they're at higher risk and who, you know, who do we want to, you know, make sure gets those limited resources that we have right now until we can get a vaccine, which is probably still about a year away. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, this, this is a response where we, we all have responsibility to participate in. Um, what, what can you, like from a community pharmacy standpoint, what can we tell our fellow pharmacists out there, especially those working in the community, um, where people are coming up to the counter every single day? and having these symptoms and asking what to do. I mean, we as pharmacists are right on the front lines, literally. Absolutely. So the number one thing that I would say is um, to get with your management and to ask about your uh, ability to use the cleaning services. And I would say that they should be coming in and they should be cleaning down um, all of the high touch surfaces um, in the pharmacy um, at least twice a day minimum, and then having those additional um, cleaning products inside the pharmacy, um, wiping down computer screens, wiping down keyboards, mouses, your cell phone, um, doorknobs, anything that's frequently touched, have hand sanitizer out and available, not just for yourself, but also for your patients. Um, don't shake anyone's hand, uh, you know, Try to keep, you know, if you can, that six feet worth of distance, you know, obviously you may have to speak a little louder through the counseling window, um, but, you know, maybe encourage people to use the drive through if possible, um, because at least then you have a bit of a barrier. Uh, but those kinds of things, you know, cleaning off your pens, you know, because people use pens all the time. They touch them, right? That's what the, you know, the virus can live on. It can live on surfaces. Um, for up to nine days, uh, especially in, uh, you know, given the correct, you know, environment. If it's cold enough and it's, you know, high humidity, then it can survive for a, a fairly long period of time. Um, the other thing, too, um, to take into consideration 
um, is um, hand washing. So making sure that you have access to a sink with soap and water. Um, most pharmacies have a, a bathroom that are inside um, the pharmacy because obviously the pharmacist can't leave by law. So just frequently washing your hands, free, like just continuously, and maybe even having a sign up that either has that screening criteria from the CDC or having a, a little comparison chart that says these are the symptoms of COVID-19 versus these are the symptoms of influenza, right? So the big difference is, you know, rapid onset, you know, cough, fever, chills, fatigue, that's influenza versus COVID-19 anywhere from two to 14 days before you start getting sick from the time you get exposed, you have a high fever, which is over 100 and 100.1 uh, Fahrenheit, that's accompanied by a cough with shortness of breath, right? So knowing the difference between this, the signs of the common cold and the flu versus COVID-19, and then having that risk assessment that's available by the CDC up in your pharmacies so people can, can take their own assessment. And then again, keeping that at least six feet distance if possible, and then wiping down all those surfaces and making sure that you're wiping them down with a product that's been approved for use for COVID-19. And as I mentioned before, the EPA just released that list and I can give you that and you can add that to the um, show notes for today. Oh, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, we'll definitely add it to um, all the resources that we, we listed previously in our previous episode, and we'll definitely add these today because that's very, very important information for us as pharmacists to protect ourselves, but to also protect our patients. It's, it's very important that we spread the message, you know, amongst our colleagues and um, amongst ourselves so that we can better take care of our patients um what do you think about you know like travel like airline travel i know um people have been saying they've been going to airports and they like eerily quiet i mean do you think there's any risk in flying um none of the airlines here domestically seem to consider that um we see all the international um, airline warnings like to China and Italy and places like that. But what about domestically here in the U.S.? As of right now, there's no restrictions that have been placed on domestic travel. But again, this is an evolving story. It changes every day. Um, you know, if you had asked me a week ago, I would have said there's no confirmed cases in Nevada. And then yesterday morning, I woke up to a text message, you know, from my uh communications person saying, hey, we have a presumed positive that's been identified in Clark County. And then I woke up this morning and heard that there was a second case that had been identified that was associated with the cruise ship that's now off the coast of San Francisco um, that is now living in Washoe County, which is in Northern Nevada. So it's an evolving story. It's changing every day. Um, so as of right now, there's no restriction on domestic travel. Uh, obviously, um, you can go to um, the CDC's website to check their uh, list of countries that have travel alerts. I know that a lot of the, um, the school systems and the universities, um, because spring break is coming up, um, have now uh, canceled any school-sponsored international travel, and they've been asking anyone who has recently traveled outside of the country 
um, to one of those areas that have had um, higher numbers of COVID-19 cases to self-quarantine um, for the 14 days before coming back to school. Um, so I would say just, you know, check with your local health department, um, you know, check the CDC's website. Um, and, you know, the State Department has, um, you know, those travel alerts and, and warnings and advisories up as well. But as of right now, there's no, um, no restrictions on domestic travel. It's just those areas where we've seen, um, you know, higher amounts of cases. Um, and the one thing to really consider is that even if you don't want to cancel your travel, that's fine. Just know that on your way back, you may have to self-quarantine depending on if the case number changes in that country. So you may be able to go and have your vacation, but coming back, you may end up having to self-quarantine. So that's just something to consider as well. And so, you know, having trip insurance, making sure that you have access to healthcare there, um, you know, those should all be considerations for whether or not you decide to take your trip or not. No, oh, great, great information. And um, I really appreciate um, you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you've been very busy um, with all the local TV channels and everything in, in um, Nevada, uh, giving, late, giving updates like all week long about, about this evolving situation. Um, before we end off, is there anything else you'd like to add or um, have the listeners look out for or consider going forward? So the big thing that I would say is, is not to panic, um, but just to be aware, knowledge is power, um, and to make sure that you're going to, you know, reputable sources for your information and maybe not necessarily taking things from social media because there has been a lot of misinformation that's been spread about COVID-19 and how you can actually get the virus. So just know the facts and make sure that you, you understand what your true risk is. So again, even though, as I mentioned before, we've had um, about 260 cases that have been identified in the continental United States, your risk still remains extremely low. Um, but it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it's gonna come to your state if it's not there yet. But just know that we have the public health infrastructure in order to handle um, anything that can happen between now and, say, the beginning of summer, when we'll probably start seeing a decline in the number of cases because of the warmer weather. Um, you know, we're working on a vaccine. We're working on a rapid tests that can be done in the ERs and in the primary care clinics. It's just going to take time. And the fact that we already have an assay that is readily usable eight weeks from the start of when this virus was identified is pretty incredible when you think about other outbreaks and other diseases that we've had in the past. Um, you know, when we think about where we were with H1N1, um, you know, we had no vaccine, no testing for several months. And, you know, here we are only eight weeks out and we're doing extensive testing all over the globe. So um, I think that's, that's where we're at right now. It's, you know, we, we have to test people to find it in order to make sure that we stop the spread of the virus. And if you feel like you have symptoms, you know, use that risk assessment tool. Um, please don't panic. Don't inundate the ERs. Um, you know, let's, let's see how this additional funding 
um, helps us so that we can get more PPE or personal protective equipment out to the hospital systems and to the primary care clinics so that we can really um, do our best to handle um, whatever comes to us and, and making sure that those who are at highest risk, like the elderly and the immunocompromised, are really getting the care that they need. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate your time. I know you're so busy and, um, you know, I know. Uh, busy for you, my dear. <laughs> thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. And I know our listeners, um, all the pharmacists and people out there listening on the Pharmacy Podcast Network um, would will really appreciate this um, updated information. And um, again, to all the pharmacists out there, um, we we have to be conscious and take this um, challenge head on because we can make a difference and we can be the change for, for um, our colleagues, our pharmacies and, and our patients and communities. So thank you, Dr. Madison, for being on the show and we'll, I hope to see you again soon. Yes, and partner with your local health department. They're a great resource. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Pharmacist podcast. We hope you subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you miss something, you can listen again or just read the transcript of the show on our website at mishrxconsulting.com forward slash podcasts. If you have a spare minute, don't forget to give us a review or rating on iTunes. Remember to practice on purpose. You're a rock star pharmacist and healthcare provider. And in the words of Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. The Conscious Pharmacist podcast is a production of MishRx Pharmacist Consulting Services, your HIV pharmacist and pharmacy experts.